I'm going to read from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 3 and verses 10 through 18, and the scriptures will be behind me. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Now to verse 10. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. And now I'm so excited to introduce Pastor Vince to come speak to us. Let's give him a hand as he comes up. Um, this past week, yeah, two weeks ago, I was meeting with a buddy of mine. He's not a believer. And... Uh, but he knows I'm a pastor, and so he's just, he always likes to get in these spiritual discussions with me. Do you guys have friends like that? They know you're a Christian, and even though they're not a, not a believer or a person of faith, they still like to ask lots of questions. And so he was asking me, dude, let me ask you this. How do you, how does someone connect to God? And I said, well, you know, the answer throughout the Christian church, throughout history, has been this word faith. And then he asked me, what's faith? And I was like, oh, man. That's, you could go anywhere with that one. That's a big answer, right? That's a, that's a big question. There's a lot of different answers for it. And I wish I had been reading this passage at the time, because it's a couple weeks ago, because I don't think there's a better way to understand the faith that connects to God than by looking at the story of Mary Magdalene on Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter when she meets Jesus in the, in the tomb in the graveyard. And um, John, the gospel writer, he gives us this story, not only because it happened, but because it's actually really instructive for us. So if we wonder what faith is today, if we want to know how to connect to God today, this passage is going to walk us through kind of a brief understanding of what faith is. And I know I'm the only thing that stands between you and an Easter egg hunt, so we're going to keep it short. Three quick points, okay? Faith rests in truth. Faith comes by grace. And faith works through love. You guys ready? All right, cool. Faith rests in truth. 
if you actually read any one of the four Gospels all the way through, from start to finish, um, there's something that's wild. It really stands out to me. It's very unique about the Gospels. And it's about the third day that Jesus died. In all four Gospels, Jesus says, I'm going to rise again on the third day. I'm going to rise again on the third day. For instance, in Mark chapter 9, he says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered to the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he'll rise again. But here's the deal. That's not like the only time Jesus said that. He says it two other places in Mark. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, he says it four times. He's saying over and over, it's, it's the third day. I'm going to rise again on the third day. Get ready for the third day. I'm going to rise again. Now it's the third day. And who's there at the tomb ready for him to rise again? Nobody. Peter's not there. James isn't there. The 12 disciples aren't there. Nobody's there ready for him to rise again on the third day, except Mary. But she's there to pay her last respects to Jesus. And um, so if you, if you think, you know, she, she's, she's walking to the tomb, right? She, she's been there when Jesus said, I'm going to rise again on the third day. I'm going to rise again on the third day. She's been there over and over, and she gets there, and the tomb's empty. And you would think she'd at least say, third day. You know, just there's, maybe it's true. No, she doesn't even say it. What'd she say? They stole the body. Immediately, that's where her mind goes, right? They stole the body. Now, the reason why that hits us is funny. I think it's because many of us here in our, in our modern times, we have a difficult time relating to people in ancient texts, okay? Um, the average person today, you walk around San Diego, they might say, Happy Easter on their way to an egg hunt, right? They might say, Happy Easter to you. But if you press them, if you ask them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they would say, Yeah, I, I take the resurrection metaphorically, you know, it's a really cool abstract truth, but I don't believe he literally actually bodily rose from the dead. Most people would say that. And the reason why is because our scientific worldview won't allow it, right? Our scientific worldview says the supernatural stuff can't really happen. Like, we like supernatural stuff when it comes to movies and shows, even called Show's called Supernatural, right? There's like, we love it out there, but like when supernatural stuff happens to us, it throws us off because we have a scientific worldview. We have an understanding of the world. It's very ordered and decent. We can kind of control it. We know all the rules that govern it. But keep in mind that the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jews of this day, they may not have had scientific worldviews, but they had worldviews. And they had worldviews that made it really difficult to believe in the resurrection just as much as us. For instance, the Greeks had a worldview that said salvation is when the soul leaves the body. Because the body is bad and the soul is good. And so one day salvation is the soul being freed from the body. So this idea of a physical bodily resurrection was crazy to them. Because the whole point is escaping this dirty physical plane and being enlightened, right? And the, and the Jews of this day believed something completely different. Their worldview was, was an understanding that one day God is going to return at the end of time. And he's going to renew all things. And not all the Jews, but, but many of the first century Jews believed in a, a general resurrection. God's going to come back and he's going to do some kind, we don't even fully understand, some kind of uh, rescue and renewal of the world. And everybody's going to get a new body. But I'll tell you what the first century Jews' worldview could not understand. 
They couldn't comprehend that God would somehow become a man and live a perfect life and, and die in their place, and then that there would somehow be a physical bodily resurrection for just one person right in the middle of history. They would say, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. It's nuts. I, I, I don't believe it. In other words, I want you to see that even though their worldview was different from our worldview, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was absolutely as unimaginable to them as it is to us for different reasons. That's why when Jesus kept saying the third day, the third day, the third day, they must have taken it just as metaphorically as we do. In fact, their worldview made his resurrection so inconceivable that on the third day, they weren't even there. And when Mary saw the tomb empty, it didn't even occur to her that what he said might have actually come to pass. You know what that means? It means if there's anybody here who says, I I just can't, I can't believe in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. There's plenty of people in San Diego that believe that. I'm sure many of them are here. Let me do a thought experiment with you. What kind of objective, overwhelming evidence would it take to smash your worldview to smithereens and bring you to the point where you're absolutely certain that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? It would have to be pretty overwhelming, right, to really, to really buy that. I want you to see whatever it would take to hit you that hard to smash your worldview, it must have hit them. But what was it? Well, the, the gospel writers tell us over and over at least 11 times, maybe more, but that's what we have written, Jesus Christ actually appeared. And hundreds of people witnessed it. They saw him. They talked to him. They touched him. And then thousands of people believed their testimony, believed on Jesus Christ because they believed the eyewitness testimony of their friends and neighbors. It overwhelmed them. It smashed their worldview. Now, here's the thing. Today, as you and I sit here, we have the same eyewitness testimony. I know you're like, what, the the Bible? Isn't that just legends? You know, what if that's just legends? Well, how do you know they're not? There's a lot of reasons. Let me give you one. You're looking at her, Mary Magdalene. In that day, if you were making up stories, if you were just trying to create stuff, trying to get people to believe in those deeply patriarchal societies, thank God, unlike ours, but very patriarchal societies, the Jews, the Greeks, the Romans, they were all deeply patriarchal. In those days, never in a million years would you make the first eyewitness a woman. Never. Did you know that in those societies, a woman's testimony wasn't even admissible in a court of law? Like, well, right? Boo. Boo on them. But if you were, like, making this story up, that would have done everything to undermine the account. So the only possible reason why Mary Magdalene in these accounts is the very first eyewitness, and she is in all four Gospels, is because she was. Uh, what other motivation would you have for making a story up and having her there? What am I saying? I'm saying we have all the same stuff they did. And thousands and thousands of people believe that's how Christianity began, because of the eyewitness testimony of people that their worldview was smashed by it. We, we have that too. Now, why am I telling you this? 
Because the first point is that faith rests in truth. My buddy and I were talking, and he's like, I feel like he's just on the precipice. He's getting closer and closer because he keeps asking me questions. And um, the other, when we were talking, he said, you know, man, I think Christianity is really working for you. I was like, oh, yeah, thank you. I'll take it. You know, he's like, um, like if, you know, if Christianity changes you, if it works for you, if it helps you, then it's good. Good on you, man. It's true for you. And I'll tell you what I told him. I said, actually, I'll say this as humbly as I can. I, I think it's the other way around. That Christianity says, don't say if it helps you. If it works for you, if it changes you, then it's true for you. No, only if it's really, really true. Will it have any hope of helping you or changing you or working for you? You think about what do we know about this life? What do we need in this life? Look at the news from the last year. There's some broken stuff going on in our world, in our, in our, in our country, in, in our lives. Right? How, what do you need? How do you know for sure? Not just how can you have kind of a vague hope, but how can you know for sure that someday God is going to make it all right? Or look at your life, your failures. How can you be absolutely sure that in spite of your own failures, your own shortcomings, your own self-centeredness and brokenness, that God loves you, that God will never let you go? How can you be sure? How can you be sure when you face death that it's not the end? Have you seen a dead body? Like, not one of the pretty ones, but like the ones that are going to dust and falling apart? How can you be absolutely sure you're going to be raised up from that? Like the song we just sang. Oh, man, I love that song. And then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trampled death, where's your sting? The angels roar for Christ our King. And then it says, he shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints. How can we sing that? How, how can you have that hope and that assurance that that's going to happen? I'll tell you, only if you know Jesus rose again, and so shall I. That's the only way. The only way we can be sure of these things and therefore face life is if you know Mary really saw him. So don't say, yeah, if it works for you, if it helps you, then it's true for you. No, only if it's true. Only if it happened. Only if Jesus really called her name, if she really saw him. If that happened, then I can face death. I can face my past. I can face my future. I can face anything. Tim Keller says in The Reason for God, which if you haven't read it, read it. Good book. The Bible, Reason for God. Those are the two top books. <laughs> says this, don't ask whether Christianity is exciting or relevant. Don't ask whether it will meet your needs. Ask if it's true. Why is he saying that? Because only if it's true will it ever meet your needs. And, you know, if it's not true, frankly, who cares about it? But if it's true, everything changes. That's the first point. Faith rests in truth. The resurrection happened. And the second point, we get into this story a little bit. And I love this story. Look at Mary. She's such a great case study for faith for us. 
Okay, look at her. In some ways, Mary's sort of a spiritual seeker, isn't she? I mean, she's looking for Jesus high and low. She won't go home. She's weeping and crying. She's, she's looking all over. She's ready to fight the gardener, right? She thinks he's a grave robber. She's like, give me the body. Where's the body at, right? That's, that's Mary. She's into it. She's determined to find Jesus. But guess what? Unless he breaks in, then she's never going to find him. You know why? She's searching for Jesus like my friend, others I've known, searching for Jesus. Because in ourselves, we're always searching for the wrong Jesus. Mary's searching for a Jesus who doesn't exist. She's, she doesn't even know him or recognize him when she sees him. In other words, if Jesus just hangs back and waits for her to find him, he's going to wait forever. And she'll never find him because she has her blinders on. She's stuck in her pattern. Like, look at her pattern. There's one thing that Mary says the whole time. It's in three different verses. She says, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where the body is. Help me find the body. They've taken my Lord away. Where have you put the body? Have you taken my Lord away? Where is his body? She's like just stuck in this pattern looking for Jesus. She's on this, in this broken record. For example, right now, I want you to get a picture of this. She believes... She's in the middle of a disaster. And she looks in the tomb and she sees two angels in front of her. She's got the Son of God breathing down her neck. And she thinks she's alone. She's about to become the most famous person in history. And she feels abandoned. She's about to be meeting Jesus face to face. face and, and when she does... She thinks he's the enemy. Where'd you put the body? Right? She's passionate. She's loving, yet she's spiritually blind to the situation because she's stuck in a pattern. Stuck in a pattern. Now, I, I just, I don't know some of you who came here today, but you know yourself. You know your own life. Maybe some of you came in here today stuck in patterns. Maybe you feel like Mary. I mean, you got the Easter smile on. But maybe you feel overwhelmed by life. Maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe you're wandering around confused and worn out. Maybe, maybe that career has left you feeling exhausted, beat up and bedraggled. You're, you're disillusioned with the path you chose in life. Or maybe that relationship you just got out of or even the one you're still in is kicking the stuffing out of you. Or maybe this week you got to pay rent again and you're going to be late again. And it's like the fifth time and there's these patterns Patterns we get stuck in in life. Anybody? Yeah, there's my amen corner. Mm. Patterns we can't seem to break. And you've been through things, and maybe some of you have been through things you don't feel like anybody else can understand. Maybe today, sitting here in this crowd of people, you feel alone. Or maybe sitting here today, you've got more in common with Mary than you realize. I've got good news for Mary, though. She may have felt alone. She wasn't alone, was she? She may have felt hopeless, but she wasn't hopeless. She may have felt like it was the end of the world, but it was actually just the beginning, right? Everything was being made new. And yet she has no idea what's about to happen. 
Mary's stumbling around in her broken patterns, and Jesus is standing behind her, and he's overcome the very thing she's overwhelmed by. Think about that. Just like Mary today, some of us have might be wandering around the graveyards of this world looking for life. I know I've been there. I've done it over and over in my life. I've looked for life in the places of death. I've peered into the tombs of fame and, and wealth, and I've stepped into caverns where powerful and popular people preside. And some of you hear me right now because some of you are there, and God is, God is standing right next to you. He's ready to open your eyes. He's ready to set you free. He's ready to break you out of your broken pattern, and you're completely unaware of the spiritual reality going on around you. And that's the point. Because when we're spiritually blind, we don't know what we're not seeing. Like Mary, she's spiritually blind to the situation. She doesn't even recognize the real Jesus. Yet what's Jesus do? I, I love, I love how Jesus comes after her. He breaks into her pattern so that he can pull her out of it. That's, a, that's just a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? That G, the gospel is all about God entering into our broken humanity and our broken mess and the world as we've made it and entering in and letting it do its worst to him and then stepping out and pulling all of creation with him. Like Easter is a promise, not just for our personal lives, but for all of creation, right? And that's what he does with Mary. He steps into her broken pattern so that he can pull her out of it. He interrupts her. Think about this. If he had just sat back and said, you know, Mary, you're a spiritual searcher. You're doing great. Just keep searching. Just keep working a little while. I'm going to be over here hanging out with a nice cup of tea, and I'll wait for you to find me. That would have sucked. Would she have ever found him? She didn't even recognize him when she saw him. I'm so thankful that that's not the gospel. The gospel is not salvation by works. The gospel is not salvation by us finding him. It's salvation by him finding us. Notice he comes after her, and he comes after her so gently. He says, woman, why are you crying? I love that. It reminds me of uh, watching Peter Pan the other night. It reminds me of what Wendy says to Peter. Boy, why are you crying? That's just so, like, tender, right? Why are you crying? And then, then he says, who are you looking for? You know, for the rest of her life, I bet she thought about the double meaning in that question. Because he wasn't just saying, who are you looking for? That was obvious, right? Who are you looking for? But he's saying, Mary, your understanding of me is way too small. You're not, you're not looking for the real me. You're looking for a Jesus you think exists, and he doesn't. So finally, he breaks in. And notice, it's not, it's not like she notices him, and she says, oh, teacher. And he goes, oh, hi, Mary. No. What, what's it say? Mary, teacher? She's staring at him, but she doesn't recognize him. He calls to her. He breaks in on her. He opens her eyes. Salvation is always by grace. Salvation is always by grace. What better way for Jesus Christ to teach us that salvation is by grace? It's not by our works. It's by his works. It's not by what we do. It's by what he's done. Salvation is not a bunch of Christians pulling ourselves together and then looking down on those who are not living the way they should. Salvation is us resting in his absolute sheer grace. And 
then out of that loving everybody around us, whether they believe like us or not. Amen? Yeah. What better way to get across the fact that salvation is by grace than to choose Mary as his first missionary? And he does. He chooses her. Because we know this because Peter and John and Mary are all hanging out there at the tomb in the garden, and Jesus is there, but he doesn't step out from the shadows until Peter and John leave. He chose her. He was deliberate. He was waiting for an opportunity with Mary. Why would he do that? Here's what I think. He chooses a woman, not a man, in a patriarchal society. He chooses a former mental health patient, not a pillar of the community. I know you're like, former mental health patient? How do we know that? Well, in Luke, in Luke chapter 8, we're told that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Seven demons. Now, in Semitic language, seven was an idiomatic expression. Seven functioned very similar to how our word super functions. So she was, she was super possessed. There's only one other place in the Bible that shows somebody who's super possessed, right? And that's in Mark chapter 6. And this guy is possessed by a legion of demons, it says. And this guy got kicked out of his city. He's wandering around the tombs naked and screaming and crying out and cutting himself. And they try to bind him with chains, and they can't because he's got all this crazy supernatural power. Right? That, that was Mary. That was Mary's reality. Super possessed. Jesus chooses a woman, not a man, in a patriarchal society. He chooses a former mental health patient who had been super possessed not a pillar of the community. How much clearer could he be saying, my salvation is by grace. It's for everyone. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter your, your race, your, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your class, your education, your record. It doesn't matter. My salvation is by absolute sheer grace. Therefore, Mary, are you ready? You're going to be my first ambassador, my first witness. And by the way, I'm, I'm thankful that he doesn't just love Mary. You know, Marys are the marginal people. Marys are the people, they're not the insiders, according to the cultural standards, right? But what's it say in verse 17? He says, go tell my, go tell those jerks that denied me. <laughs> go tell those, those cowards, go tell those miserable deserters, the backstabbers. No, what's he say? He says, go tell my brothers. Because of what I've done, we're family. Because of what I've done, my father's their father. My God is their God. Wow. Are we tracking? You have to remember the disciples were haughty. Mary was humble. And that's important because one of the things I love about Jesus is that He's, he's not bigoted against bigots. And he's not self-righteous against self-righteous people. Right? Isn't, isn't that what we do? Right? We tend to look at people who are not in our group. Like if, we're, if we think of ourselves as open-minded people, then we tend to hate the bigots or the traditional people. But if we tend to think of ourselves as like moral, traditional people, then we don't really like the open-minded people. We don't like the immoral people. But Jesus, he's promiscuous with his love. He's scandalous with his grace. He offers life and reconciliation to everybody. Amen? So point number one, 
you believe the truth of the resurrection, point two, you see that faith comes by grace. And guys, until you see that faith comes by grace, you won't have it. But once you see his grace, your heart begins to experience something amazing. That's our third point. Faith works through love. One of the coolest things about Mary is how full of love she is. She, she's a lover. And we see that in the text, actually. You notice at the very end what Jesus says to her? He says, don't hold me so tightly. You guys see that? And in some translations, it looks like he's saying, hey, don't touch me. I am holy. I'm like the burning bush. You may not touch me. But we know that's not what he's saying because at the end of the chapter, he tells Thomas, doubting Thomas to touch him, stick your fingers in the wounds of my hand, right? So that can't be what Jesus is saying. Actually, the verb he uses here means stop clinging so tightly. It's almost funny. It's like, it's kind of like Jesus is saying, ouch, right? Do we have that? Ouch. Because as, as Mary realizes it's him, as her eyes are open, right, she runs to him. She must have squeezed him so tightly like a vice. And he says, Mary, quit holding me so tightly. And then he gives a reason. He says, because I haven't yet ascended to my father. I am ascending. Now, what could that mean? If you've been reading John, we've, we've been walking through the gospel of John here in our gatherings. If you've been reading John up until now, especially like chapter 14 on through 18, Jesus keeps saying some stuff. And you would kind of know what he's saying here because he says things like, it's better that I go away. It's going to be better if I go because when I ascend to the Father, I will send my Holy Spirit, I will send the Comforter, and he will dwell within you. He will make me real to you. He'll show you my glory. Right? That's what Jesus has been saying this whole time building up to this. So you know what that means? I, I don't know about you. I've often thought, dude, it would be so cool to have been there and seen Jesus face to face, to have heard him teach, to like maybe have been one of the disciples like Peter, James, or Mary, or, or man, to, to like hug him or eat by him or just, just hang around the campfire and just ask him weird questions because you know he's got to have some kind of a cool answer to it, right? So that's, the, anyway, that's what I've often thought. But Jesus is saying, no, I've got something better. I've got something better for all of you. If the Holy Spirit comes into your life, then the sense of my love, which will come upon you, will be greater than if you were here with me. It'd be greater than if I held you in my arms. That's what Jesus is saying. One, One of my favorite pastors wrote this in his prayer journal. He said, sometimes in prayer, we know what it is to be too happy to live. Sometimes I've had to ask Jesus to stay his hand for love, glory, and joy were coming to my heart from him in ways too great to bear. Have you experienced that? Now, I want to make you feel bad if you haven't, but I'm just trying to say that's, that's what's available to you. The love of God in the person of Jesus in a personal indwelling way through his Holy Spirit. The mark of a person, not just the nominal, like, Christian that can spout off all the doctrines, but the mark of somebody who really grasps the gospel in their gut. The mark of saving faith is when you realize that at infinite cost to Jesus, you've been saved by grace. And when you realize that, that creates an explosion of love in your life. You feel loved, and you want to go out and love everybody else. Has anybody ever experienced that? 
Yeah. Man, we need some more of that in the Western church. Okay, that's, not, that's a different sermon. But that's what makes Mary so great. She's a lover. In fact, before she even figured all this out, she kind of mops the floor with all the male disciples in this chapter. Right? Spiritually speaking. And here's why. Because she's the only one who goes there on the third day. She's the only one who stays there on the third day. She says, I'm not going to go away. I'm looking for a body. Do you have the body? Give them to me. She's ready to fight the grave robbers, right? That's love. Where does your love come from? I'll tell you. She really, really got grace. If you watch the disciples carefully throughout the Gospel of John or other places, when Jesus says to the male disciples, you can be children of God, and you can be children of God, what's their response? What's their attitude? It's always like, oh, yeah, we know. Of course, yeah, we can make the cut. You know, male ego. Yeah, that's right. We could be. But what's, what's Mary's response? When he said to Mary, you could be a child of God, she must have thought, me? I used to walk these streets crying out half naked, out of my mind. I, I can be a child of God. Jesus says, yes, you can be a child of God. That's incredible, right? See, to the degree that you understand your need for grace, to that degree, faith explodes in your life in the form of love. Jesus says in another place, to those who are forgiven much, they love much. And what I love about how Jesus interacts with Mary here in closing is when he calls her to himself, he uses her name. He calls her by name, Mary. I think that's his way of saying, if you want to know who you are, know me. I know who you are. I made you. I I made you unique. The way you're going to find yourself, your purpose, your value, your identity is not by wandering around the graveyards of this world. It's not by stumbling around in your broken patterns, but I'm breaking in. I'm calling you by name. Find me and you'll find yourself. I ask you, can you hear his voice deep down in that innermost part of your being calling your name? Like today, in this moment, is it possible that he's speaking your name? When he called her by name, that's what set her free. That's what broke her out of her pattern and gave her a new identity and a new mission. She, she finally says something new. If you look at verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples, and she didn't say, they've taken the body. What'd she say? I have seen the Lord. The writer Annie Dillard says it this way. I had been my whole life a bell. And I never knew until I was picked up and rung. I thought I was a paperweight. I thought I was a doorstop. I had no idea that if somebody picked me up and rung me, I was a bell. I had no idea what I was. Will you let Jesus lift you up, ring you today? Will you, like Mary, seek him, even if it seems hopeless? Like Mary, will you seek him, even if you're not sure who he is? I promise you, he'll call you by name. He may be doing it right now. For the first time, or it might be the thousand and first time. This moment, and you'll find him and you'll find everything along with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Mary. Thank you for her love. Thank you for her tenacity and her humility. 
Thank you for the many ways she's a model for all of us, both men and women. And yet the model is not really like be like Mary, but the model is rest in the grace of Jesus Christ. Only he can break us out of our broken patterns. Only he can give us our names. Only he can give us a mission outward into the world full of love, full of grace. And we ask you that you do that. Help us to live better stories in light of this gospel story. So on this Easter, we pray that you would make these things true in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, in your name we pray, amen.